there are seven days in the week and 24 hours in a day, and you do not have to send an embargo for Tuesday at 6 a.m. Pacific time. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear about the time a comedian made a joke about organic reach on Facebook? Nobody got it. Hello and welcome to Mobile Heroes Uncensored number nine. My name is John Kutsir and my co-host is Peggy Ensalz. Today we have a super awesome show. I know we always say that, but today it really is because we bring in Games Beats' Dane Takahashi and Pocket Gamers' Dave Bradley, super interesting, super amazing people. And we pair them with two mobile marketers, Rose Agazino from Ludia Games and John Hook from Boom Bits or Boom Hit or Hit Boom or something like that. And with them, we make a game, we chat about the business of gaming, and Peggy and I play games with our guests, of course. Welcome to the show. You know, Peggy, I've got a joke for you today. Oh, is this like what the real thing or this? This is, is the real time? thing. You are okay. you're always ready, right? I mean, that's I'm the motto. Ready. I'm, that's I'm the podcaster, vid, vidcaster's motto, always ready. You know, yeah. so my teenage son, uh, he's kind of into medieval stuff, recreation, that sort of yeah. thing, making things. So last week we built a catapult. We tested it in the backyard. My wife couldn't believe it. She said, wow, I never thought our son could go that far. I said, it is pretty amazing. Let's go get our daughter. Ah, it's pretty cheesy. I know it's a it dad cheesy, joke, but, but I hey. liked it. I'm like, I didn't know I could go there. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Seeing exactly. that thing out of out of uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail here. You got it. You got it. We are the new Monty Python, Peggy. Oh. It's pretty amazing. I, I have one for you. You know, usually oh, the I'm coconuts and the, and the one with the, the they do this sheep and the cows. Okay. You're on. Yes, yes. I have one for you. Usually I am the butt of my own jokes, and that is entirely appropriate, right? I mean, I should be the butt of my own jokes, but I have one for you, you know, so get ready. All right. right. Peggy, do you know why people call you the computer? No, and I can't believe they do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not your math skills. Um, (laughs) Hell no, not on my SATs, no way. (laughs) No, no, but apparently you go to sleep when you're unattended for 15 minutes. (laughs) <laughs> but hey you know what I, I i feel like i did my duty i feel like i i held up my end of the bargain you know i had jokes um now it's time for you to hold up your end of the bargain peggy do we have some news to share today boy do we ever i think you call these thought grenades we'll call these news grenades john it's I like know. Boom, i boom. know i know who would have thought it you know Android apps on Windows. Yeah, I call it a BFD, a big freaking deal. Um, I mean, it's Android apps on Mm. Microsoft's operating system using Amazon's App Store. I mean, like this is three of big tech right here, three of the five, right? I mean, where's Mm. Apple? (laughs) You know, you've got Google, Microsoft, Amazon. That's kind of insane. I mean, I guess it's a very 2021 thing because this is an insane year. But it's interesting because Microsoft needed a counter to Apple's M1 and iOS apps running on Macs. You know, that brings millions of bits of new functionality to Mac OS X. And of course, Microsoft doesn't view Google and Amazon as the enemy of all enemies. They clash in cloud, a bunch of other places, but otherwise they have fairly well-defined separate spheres of influence. But, you know, it's interesting because marketing measurement is changing what an app install means is changing where an app lives how somebody uses it what how they interact with it engage with it really really weird stuff interesting cool stuff monetization is changing too microsoft will charge zero dollars and take zero percent of payments which means that by giving away what it never had it puts apple in a tougher competitive position so we live in interesting times peggy absolutely brings me back actually I studied political science, amongst other things, John. And I remember the whole idea was peace on earth. You know, world peace will break out when we have a common enemy. 
<laughs> it was like, well, this is great. All we need is Martians. No, no. All we need is Apple. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Apple from Mars. If Apple's from Mars, where's Google? <laughs> Venus? <laughs> exactly. It just makes you wonder. And the constellations are going to get wild, right? Oh, I'm, wow. just, I'm just waiting for someone to like, you know, bring in some, I don't know, TikTok. There's got to be some sort of global thing going on here that'll really upset apple by the way new but. podcast the astrology of mobile here we go exactly exactly the rising stars and the ones that burn out won't yep. go there won't go there <laughs> <laughs> not us not in this heat never um and of course more news that's also exciting because you can see it in the stars you could see it coming right you couldn't be unintended you could see it. Third cookie depreciation got delayed to 2023. Someone out there cares, maybe. <laughs> yeah, third party cookies. Um, wow. I, I think Google yeah. learned that it's not as powerful as Apple. Uh, Apple owns and controls its operating system. And the open, open ecosystems like the web, they're just not as easy to upend by decree. And, of course, there was a lot of pushback to Flock. A lot of people got in line with it, but a lot of people pushed mm -hmm. back. And those types of systems that significantly advantage one incumbent player, i.e. Google, don't always get received with open arms. What a shock. <laughs> also, I mean, SK Ad Network was delayed as well, right? So Apple learned with SK Ad Network that big ecosystems take a long time to change. Google's learning that as well. It's not as yeah. easy as decreeing it. And it remains to be seen what's going to happen there. It's relevant to mobile because mm -hmm. a lot of mobile marketers are using web to app, other things like that, cross-platform yeah. journeys. But it's also relevant because what Google is learning with Flock and privacy and other things on the web, third-party cookies, it's probably going to impact what Google does with Android and the Android advertising ident identifier, the Google ad identifier, right? So there's a lot going on here. And again, may you live in interesting times. Absolutely. They just got to take a little slowly because someone already is eating their lunch. So it makes no sense to eat your children in a sense of the ecosystem here. So just go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Google can't do this. <laughs> Cannot do. It has other problems. So it has to go slowly. And we all sort of have to coexist. Little mm -hmm. kumbaya, but it's going to get mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Peggy, who are we chatting with today? We have got a lineup as we always do, John. They're always interesting. Today, let me kick it off. We have Dean Takahashi, lead writer for GamesBeat, AdventureBeat. He's been a tech journalist for more than 28 years, I have here, covering games for 21. He's described, since he didn't fill out the secret tip, you know, the one thing we don't know about you and LinkedIn, we had to, I had to do some digging. So he's been described by his colleagues as sharp, smart, and selfless. You can count on him to, quote, be the one in the room asking the toughest questions. But today, but hey, Dean. Do you, know <laughs> his, do you know his nickname? No, is it, it wasn't in LinkedIn, no. It wasn't in LinkedIn? Come on, Dean. It's Dean the Machine. Because nobody, <laughs> in, tech, nobody <laughs> in tech has more 10-story days than Dean. I, I, I'd be willing to put money on that. I'd put Ethereum on that. Um, but yes. <laughs> well, you. if you're the one asking the toughest questions, Dean, you're going to be on the receiving end today. So strap yourself in for a ride with us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And, and, oh, and of course, you can also say and wave and all of that when I mention you. So we know who we're talking to. Dave, Dave Bradley. Hi. Chief Yes, indeed. Chief Operation Officer at Steel Media, perhaps best known as the publisher of Pocket Gamer. Another veteran here, John, 25 years experience in entertainment media. And still writing. Well, not daily, but still writing, I saw, which I love. Yeah, occasionally. Yeah. And he's not just a gamings expert, right? He is a die-hard sci-fi fan, big time, mm -hmm. right? Oh, yeah. From magazines to a sci-fi podcast, he has started one as we most of us did in lockdown and he's so passionate about sci-fi that he's gearing up to launch beyondgames.biz so look wow. for that one the convergence wow. of games with comics film music cool stuff the one to watch john wow dave favorite sci-fi author 
Ian Hard Banks, Ian M Banks, I should say, with the M in the middle. Ian Banks, yeah, amazing, for sure. amazing, yeah. hard, hard science, wow. but incredible where he takes it. Yeah, huge fan of uh, of Ian M Banks's work, and of course, unfortunately, uh, sadly, no longer with us. But I did get a chance to meet and interview him a few times uh, over the years. So, um, yeah, I'm very yeah. happy about that. Got a chance to talk through his his sci-fi with him. Yeah, nice. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. And we have Rose Agatsina. Rose, marketing manager at Ludia. Located in Montreal, Canada, so a little close to you, John. She's worked at all the titles, including Jurassic Franchise. So marketing is what she is amazing at. She's been recognized as a mobile hero for her expertise. And she used the reset to settle down, buy a house. And while we're on the topic of her private life, she did fill in her private secret. When she was a kid, she wanted to be a stunt car driver. Oh, still, still at the top of my list of things I'd like to do. Wow. I got to uh, one time. I got to do like the closed, the closed tracks. You know where they film all the commercials and the car going halfway up the wall. And I was like, "Can I do that?" And they're just like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> Whenever we have somebody that that is also in Canada, Peggy says, "Hey, close to you, John." And freaking, you know, when when we interview somebody in Russia, I'm going to say, "Hey, close to you, Peggy in Berlin." I mean, you know, like. <laughs> It's like, Canada is a live country, Peggy. I know you're yeah. American by birth, but <laughs> you're European now. You should know some geography. <laughs> it's just Canada. It's up there. It's north of us, man. Uh, yes. <laughs> I had in my notes Fast and Furious, but I thought, no, that's another franchise, Rose. <laughs> not a franchise. Not ours. <laughs> no, no. And John Hook. John, CEO at Boom Hits, a Boom Bit company group. So it's part of that. Gaming exec, entrepreneur, experienced in launching, building, running mobile games studios, absolutely in his element there. But he has agency days. He looks back on fondly because in his agency days, he did charity boxing match and knocked out a client. Out. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> there's big money in charity boxing these days i mean you should talk to some influencers about that john yeah i i i went too early before all of the <laughs> all of these days in vegas and these multi-million dollar contracts i've i've missed my peak. story of my life i peaked too mm -hmm. soon i mean if i were you i wouldn't know am i boom hits boom bit sheesh it's uh it's a tongue twister i know i know tell me about it and i, I work there <laughs> in the field day our lawyers have Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Peggy, for the intros. And thank you, everybody, for being here. We are here to, you know what, learn a few things, share a few things, have a few laughs. We are talking games and games marketing. We have two games journalists. We have two games marketers. And we'll probably play a few games as well, at least on them. Right, Peggy? So here we go. Dean, let's start with you. What's the best pitch you ever got to review a game? I think uh, I would go with the pitch for Hellblade, and it uh, took place at one of those pre-E3 events uh, where they bring in like a few dozen journalists uh, ahead of the E3 show, and uh, we get to see a bunch of games, and this game was at a reception on a windy roof in Santa Monica, and um, there were a bunch of indie games, you know, being displayed. And I went over to talk to the Hellblade guy, a guy named Dominic Matthews, and he was talking about um, the design of the game. And, you know, that the whole story he told just sort of drew me in. It was like a female Celtic warrior uh, who did not look at all like, you know, some kind of warrior princess or whatever, right? She just kind of <laughs> like, looked like a fairly, <laughs> fairly normal, short-haired woman who had just normal proportions and yes. you know it's like you don't see that in the video game industry every day especially you know even four years ago right when i saw it and um so i thought the character design was was interesting and then the theme was all about uh mental health right and um you know she she was suffering from psychosis and so they they said that well we we consulted with some psychosis experts for the game. And uh, they even got a grant from uh, from one of the UK insurance companies uh, to to do this game. And so it was the initial funding for it came came from that direction. 
but they were, you know, they were pretty much AAA developers, right? The, wow. uh, the folks who did like the DMC games, for example. And so, but they wanted their control over this and they had a team of like, you know, 30 or so people. It was still a fairly big budget, but, but not something that was, you know, EA level, right? And yeah, I covered this this story at the outset and over time, and it became my favorite game of 2017, right? And I, I thought uh, it was so well executed as far as like they used the Unreal Engine for facial animation uh, to, to just sort of really cross that uncanny valley for the first time. And um, they had this, this theme of a journey into the Norse underworld that she takes in order to find her lost love. And the whole time you don't know whether or not it's all in her head, right? Mm -hmm. And then you go on, you know, fight these demons and it's, it's like an analogy for just fighting your own personal demons in your head. And they execute on that sort of part of the gameplay so well that that was amazing. So like this is a, you know, this is a pitch uh, to me that just sold itself, right? I mean, wow. you start with an outstanding game and you think about all these things that you want to do, like the tropes about women, get rid of those, and the tropes about, um, you know, psychos in video games as, mm -hmm. as the villains all of the time. And, um, you know, the, some of the truth about psychosis, then, um, then you just get to, you know, an amazing story and just great execution. So I think that's the best uh, pitch I've ever, I've ever seen. Love it. Love it. The yeah. unexpected. Um, I would have expected something like Hellblade play our game. You'll go to heaven or something like that. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> what's changing Dean about the games that you're seeing over the last few years? Um, well, I, I think, you know, during the pandemic, we just saw this amazing growth in the game industry. And uh, even now we're seeing like mobile user growth growing at like 30% and revenues growing at 40% in the last uh, quarter. And so uh, this whole adoption, mainstream adoption of games uh, has happened and it's happening still and it's getting accelerated by the pandemic conditions. And so, um, you know, I feel like the mainstream has come to games as opposed to the games always trying to seek out some kind of mainstream attention. So uh, it's it's part of culture, right? And if you don't know about them, then you, you miss that. You're kind of missing out. It's like uh, it's like not knowing about comic books, right? So, <laughs> oops, <laughs> big gap. What's kind of interesting, though, John, you know, mm -hmm. is that uh, I'm reading also that these newcomer gamers don't call themselves gamers, right? They don't say they're playing games. They don't identify themselves as gamers. It's like, no, I'm not one of them. But that's the mainstream. There you go. Gamers who don't game. Gamers who gamers, yeah. <laughs> not gaming. <laughs> Dave, let's turn to you. Uh, your management, uh, but you still write, which I'm super happy to see because I can't not write. It's just yeah, same. in my bones. <laughs> I saw that your latest post is about an upcoming chess game from Supercell, and I I, I kind of like chess game. And I was like, what was the first thing you thought when you heard chess and Supercell? Well, let me kind of dive into that a little bit. Actually, it's it's kind of, this is Clash Mini. Um, that's uh, one of the three games that Supercell announced. Actually, it's auto chess, which is kind of a specific kind of genre, actually, which is, you say chess and it kind of brings to mind a, a certain type yeah. of game, but actually auto chess is kind of shorthand for a particular kind of turn-based game that's, that started out as a mod of, uh, a modification of, of Dota, one of the, um, uh, the mobile online battle arena games. And... Uh, and also chess is kind of a form that uh, a kind of genre of, of game that started a couple of years back where you set your pieces up and they play according to set moves. And that's the chess kind of component to it. But it's uh, it's kind of uh, kind of geeky and kind of uh, deep. And um, and what's interesting about this is and what I love about Supercell is they take these kind of quite deep genres and make them really accessible, make them really snackable, and they bring them to the mainstream. And that was true of Clash Royale, which I just think is a perfect game, by the way. I'm a huge fan of Clash Royale. I play it to death. I've dropped money on that game. And the thing about what they did with that is they took this kind of um, player versus player battle arena style game 
and they shrunk it down to its core components and they made it kind of colorful and fun and they made it really easy even if you've never played a game before to just drop your pieces on there and play that game and they're doing it again and that's what i thought when i first saw this and that's what i love about it they, they announced three games coming out using the clash brand so using the clash characters but taking in each case a different genre and the one that, that just appealed to me was this supercell take on the auto chess genre and i thought well i can't wait to see that i can't wait to see what they do with that in clash mini what they did with clash royale taking on those type of games the the, the battle arena games so that's what i was uh, was excited about and yeah you're right i um i'm i'm part of the leadership team at, at uh, steel media but i'm a journalist uh you know in my bones like you say i can't not write i love to do it and when i see something i'm excited about i want to i want to dive into it and that's why i kind of got into this business in the first place you know um I started out writing about games in the 90s and I'm just one of those people and I think Dean may be the same you know you, there's something that you're interested in you're interested in the, the games you're interested in the soap opera of the industry and you just want to kind of dive into that and then evangelize that to other people and kind of explore that a little bit and share your findings and so yeah there just sometimes things pop up that I just got to write about. You know Peggy it's pretty funny if you want to be interested talk to somebody who's passionate uh we, we, <laughs> we've had just really great answers from david from dean right now yeah, play diving into the psychology and the sociology and the backstory and the history yeah. behind games and it's wonderful i absolutely love it um dave how has the business of games evolved over the last couple of years uh dean just talked about pandemic that's obviously mm -hmm. had a huge impact what else is happening yeah, well, the the impact of the pandemic, uh, you know, can't be overstated. There's so many things I could dive into. So many kind of angles here. There's lots of sort of trends. I, I'm going to pick one that's particularly of interest to me. And and Peggy mentioned at the top of this conversation about how I'm kind of working on this beyond games idea. I know it's something that the uh, venture beat and games beat have, have dived into as well. This idea of the metaverse, I'm fascinated with that. And you know, we could talk about lots of things that's going on with games at the moment and kind of trends and hyper casual stuff. But this is something. The metaverse is something that I, I think is fascinating, and I think it's going to become part of our lives. And we were just talking about how the mainstream is there, pop culture, the crossovers. We're seeing situations now where, well, let me give you an example. I went to see the last Star Wars movie that came out, right? The um, uh, the, uh, the, the 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 final part of that trilogy. And at the beginning of that, you get the text crawl on screen, the famous introductory crawl. And at the start of that, it says, the dead speak, and it introduces the return of the... Uh, of the Emperor, spoiler reserve, if you haven't seen it, I'm sure everyone has by now, right? So Emperor Palpatine is back. Now that broadcast to the galaxy took place inside Fortnite. So Fortnite is part of the Star Wars story, right? And that says to me that there's a future where games are more than just a, you know, a one-off brief experience. They're platforms, they're places, they're social places where these stories take place. And, you know, we see also during the pandemic as well, concerts taking place in Roblox because yeah. people can't go to stadiums. So they they watch Lil Nas X, you know, performing inside Roblox or, um, or you know, a, a Marshmallow, talk, you know, in uh, performing in, in Fortnite is another example there. But there's, there's loads of these. And so I am very keen to see the journey that we're on towards the Matrix that starts mm -hmm. with games that are super popular right now becoming places where all these different aspects of culture interact. Wow, impressive. Ready player one, we live inside right, the game. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Wow, now let's turn to the game marketers and Rose, we'll start with you. Um, you hear through the grapevine that Dean or Dave is reviewing your game. What goes through your mind? Um, so usually a slight panic, like, you know, <laughs> are, do they have the right version of the game? Is everything, you know, do it make sure the servers are ready and, you know, hopefully there's no there's nothing breaking that day or we're not in maintenance because we're in the process of updating. And that would be like a terrible experience if you, you're going to write about the game and suddenly, sorry, we're down for maintenance because we have the new version coming out. Um, <laughs> but then, and it's happened before. So that's why it's always like, okay, you know, like let's make sure we're always, we're always ready to go. But there's usually like really, really big excitement about it because this does carry a lot of weight. Um, you know, it's, I think it's very important and that, it's often overlooked. I think when we look at other types of media where maybe reviewers, when you look at movies, sometimes, you know, the Rotten Tomato score will be really great, but then the critic score is really low. And, you know, who's coming in at that point? And in the end, it's the consumer who's always going to win uh, because they're the ones that are in the end directing where they're, where they're putting their money. So, but I think when it comes to games, um, we don't have that as much of that disconnect. So when someone like Dean or someone like Dave uh, and their teams 
want to talk about a game, we know that it's going to hit a very large audience who are going to be greatly influenced. So it's it's always great when we get to see, when we hear it, we're like, oh, oh, we have this coming out and we, we just get really excited because we know it's it's going to, it should hopefully bode well for us. Well, I want to follow up with that a little bit because we're in an era, getting in an era of tougher growth via advertising, right? Especially iOS, uh, less data, more privacy, that sort of thing. Is getting good press and good reviews even more important now? Totally. I think it's, yeah, it's definitely important and growing in importance as well. So having press coverage versus being, hey, you know what, we, we know your interests. We're going to target you with an ad. Um, it's really letting the game sell itself. It's letting people highlight what are the, the best elements of the game and hopefully speaking to an audience that are going to like it. And I don't know about you, but when I discover something due to a review, I get really excited. I share it with all my friends. If I see it in an ad, I might get really excited, but I might not want to tell everyone about it as much mm -hmm. as I would if I personally discovered something. So I think that- hey, all my friends, well. I saw an ad. Exactly, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I think when it comes to review, you just kind of like want to share, like, I found this really great thing and I'm going to share it with everyone. And then you start having that those little viral moments. So I nice. think it's it's definitely it's definitely going to keep growing importance as 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 you mentioned as the privacy comes up. Yeah, yeah. John, last but not least, uh, super happy to have you with us as well. What's the most significant impact you ever you've ever seen from a story in the press about a game you've worked on, good or bad? I mean, I'd echo what what Rose is saying is what I see from the business side that again you don't get in other industries is the the influence that Dean and Dave can have on our share price. So <laughs> and, 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 uh, what I mean by that, I'm not going down this Reddit rabbit hole here where we're gonna, mm -hmm. we're gonna start um, manipulating gaming stocks. But what, what I mean by that is obviously the, the world particularly we're in now is incredibly exciting, right? And I, I think Dave and Dean most really made the same point that there's, there's this blurred line between um, gaming and, and culture. And as a result, you're having all these new funds pouring into gaming because they realize that's really where consumers and a lot of money is to be made whilst other markets disappear. So what we've seen in the, certainly the past 12 months now is um, a, a significant uplift in investors and analysts following our share price. And we had, um, we had a game that hit number one on the US App Store and um, it got picked up by a few journalists and also um, I agree with Peggy that a few creators. So these these people that they're not gamers, but they they create great content and it had a significant impact on our share price. All these alerts were going off. We were kind of scrambling, trying to figure out what had happened. And it was because it was from a, um, a very positive review of, of the game. And then the the investors thinking that you know, number one in the charts relates to this huge amount of revenue and profit that immediately pours into the company. So therefore, our market gap goes up 20, 30%. So I, from, from the business side, I find this this fascinating because you read about it in other industries, but I've been going through that in real, you know, in, in real time. So there's, there's, there's clearly the influence that you know, consumers have going to um, these reviews and wanting to know um, you know, really detailed reviews and the kind of top games to look at. But there's no doubt, though, that, you know, I'm sure Dave and Dean have had this conversation many times in terms of their audience is also, you know, the business of games, you know, in investors, analysts now that are looking to learn not just about the business of games, but they want to learn under the bonnet. They want to understand the mechanics of these games and, and the trends and therefore which companies they should follow and potentially invest in. So, so yeah, it's it's been a fascinating twelve months for me to see this this impact on uh, on our business. That's amazing, John. And and I I have a follow up question for you, but I want to take what you said and I want to ask Dave and Dean their thoughts on it because I'm I've had that when I was writing at VentureBeat as well. I was writing uh, it was a B two B story and I wrote it was a cool technology. And they they called me up like the next day and they said, you know, our, we have a bell in our office that starts ringing when somebody asks for a demo request, right? <laughs> and it started ringing. And we're going like, what happened? And it started ringing and it was ringing. They had to shut it off because, you know, something happened. The magic pixie dust of the internet went and that story spread around and, and they were getting bombarded, literally thousands of requests for demos and everything like that. Dave, Dean, 
do you guys sense the power that you have when you write a review of a game that John's talking about that can change the course of a, of a company's history, of its stock price, of its valuation, of how it rewards its employees, all that stuff? Well, I am very gratified that that's the conclusion that we've reached in this call as someone who works in the, in the press. Because, uh, you know, I, we, it's, we live in an era where there's also, you know, um, uh, a, a great deal of effort and money goes into performance marketing and user acquisition is an, is an art in itself, which I really admire. And there are so many ways to influence it. And I've always been a big believer in the power of the press. And, and, and you know, what? something that just to speak to something that Rose said as well, I think that a great review is itself a great piece of content and it can often is read and enjoyed for itself. And that's, I think, part of its power as well. You know, that's, I think that's why it connects with its audience. So I'm, I'm really pleased that you think that that's, you know, that, that that's the case. So you know, I've, I've always been an advocate for, um, for, for the power of media, you know, it's, it's, uh, um, it kind of speaks to an authority. I think that so, you know, that someone who's played a lot of games is, is putting a game in context. And the fact that the Dean, for instance, is a fan of something is worth a thousand, people you know on metacritic or something um so i think that you know that's 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 fascinating and i also think that um that when you look at um well kind of the something that we do at pocket gamer the 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 top 50 you know we do it we do an annual top 50 of mobile game makers and it's always really fascinating how important that is to developers to be in something like that and i think what that speaks to is that the, the the, the, it's it's appreciated that experts are pouring over this and putting something in it, you know, it, together in a kind of hierarchy and, and putting some things together. And uh, and so, yeah, I, I get a little bit of a sense when we do something like that, when we do a feature like that, how, how important it is. I mean, Dean, is it the same for you? Do you? You must have people all the time trying to get in touch with you to, to, to you know, to... Uh, to get coverage on on the site because of the weight that you did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think I have a million unread emails or something. But, wow. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I I mean I I appreciate the power of the press and uh, I'm glad that people still recognize it because uh, you know the power of the uh, influencers as paid advertising has skyrocketed uh, you know in the last few years and streamers and all that. And so it feels like the, the power of the press has diminished in some way. Uh, but I still believe that, you know, I, I think it's a bit dangerous to always live inside of bubbles and not to see things from a full perspective or to see things from outside of a, a bubble. And so um, if you're doing, you know, paid advertising with influencers, I mean, uh, th there are people inside your bubble, right? And they're they're not going to stray too far uh, from what the advertising uh, view is, or what you know the advertising dollars will pay for. And so, um, I, I like the fact that the press is just outside of that, and that uh, you know we can be an independent third party uh, that can you know sort of uh, uh, lend that authentic view that uh, you know uh, we like or we don't like what we see. Uh, you know, just based on our judgment. And so, um, so I think it's good to be, you know, uh, for the press to be outside of that, that bubble. I mean, we're, there's a line there and it's, um, it's, you know, sometimes blurry line, but, but clear enough. And um, I think that, uh, you know, if, if you don't have that, you, you run so many risks of, of sort of having blind spots to what reality really is. And uh, uh, so, if if the press is sort of validating or criticizing your work, then it's it's a big signal about uh, what's beyond us in the mainstream market of mm -hmm. of people. I think right. Mm -hmm. So, that makes yeah. sense. If I could just sort of add something to that as well, I think I think that's a really interesting point Dean makes about the the kind of uh, the authenticity and the uh, the authority that that you bring. It's an interesting thing about game reviews where. Once upon a time, particularly in the world of kind of premium games, you might read a game review because it would reduce the risk that you had as a gamer, right? You're going to drop 50 pounds on a game. We read a review to see whether that was worth it. But in the mobile market, particularly, what's interesting is, of course, many games are free. There's a, there's a big premium one, not, not cool, but even premium games are not as expensive as console games. So is there still value in reading a review to 
save you money. And I think that that's not the case now. I think what you do is you read a review to save you time. And I think that's where we come in. Well, actually, what happens is you can be bombarded by advertising on, on Facebook. And actually, what happens is you go, well, which of these games is worth my time? And so time is the currency now rather than than uh, the, the risk being about money. And so I think that's where that's where game journalism comes in right now. That makes a ton of sense. John, to come back to you, um, you've had games featured on Google Play in the App Store that uh, drove 3 million, millions of installs in a month. Does press drive that at all, or does that drive press? Oh, it's a bit like chicken and egg, isn't it? Um, I mean, look, I, I think, of course, having your games featured is... Um, is still of, of huge value. I mean, the the kind of main page features, you know, are, are probably worth millions. And there's a lot of hard work that goes on behind the scenes to, you know, maintain, build those developer relations and have really close um, and sort of giving previews of, of the game, um, you know, to Apple or, or Google that then perhaps by default, you know, may damage your chances of getting you know, a, a review alongside because you've kind of given the really interesting early exclusive to someone else. But, you know, of, of course, I mean, it's a bit like um, what, what Dave was saying is if you, you know, the way I think about the app store, I completely think about time, right? It's a bit like going on to Netflix. Where on earth do you start? So that's that's clearly the advantage of, of having that homepage. But again, in, in terms of the press, it really depends on the type of game um, that we've got. So if we've just got a, you know, an ad-based free-to-play game, where does it make sense to invest our time? Well, if it's a sort of low-end mobile game, we're, we're really unlikely, you know, if it's a hyper-casual game, we're, we're really unlikely to get, get a feature, right? <laughs> um, and then when, when I think about, would I even bother Dave or team with a hyper-casual game launch? Probably not. So, you know, in, in that route, it's your classic performance marketing, but increasingly now influencer marketing. When we've, where we've got, say, maybe, you know, more interesting mid-core title that we spent two, two three years developing on, and there's a really nice sort of indie game dev story behind it and there's just beautiful content. I think in 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 that scenario, then, you know, absolutely. I mean, of course, in the dream world, you're going to want both. But for me, I I, I think for those games, I think, you know, it, it's really the, the, the press drives that much, much bigger volume. I love Dean's idea of concept about this, this bubble. And I often talk about with my UA team about this, how to think about performance marketing in terms of, you know, absolutely there are these bubbles that really don't have an impact somewhere else because those people are just loyal to that influencer or, you know, maybe a specific channel or topic. So I I, th I think generally they are, you know, they, they are linked. You know, we've had great press coverage, not in terms of, of review, but, you know, again, I think if Apple or Google pick your game and you've got a main feature, um, it certainly does get, some people's attention um but yeah th there's a really interesting kind of dynamic behind there but you know e every time it's it's a simple question about what game is it where you know how do we launch this who do we need to have relationships with uh, and we go from there interesting interesting i'm still thinking about dean's million unread messages um, <laughs> <laughs> when i left uh -huh. venture Beat, it was twenty thousand that i had unread. <laughs> a million I, I we need a screenshot of that we're all getting the inbox anxiety, right? That's the we definitely need a screenshot of that. We need some proof of that. I was just but, thinking about all the broken hearts in there, you know? <laughs> all these indies didn't answer my email. Well, I think people of are, like people are watching this saying, oh shit, I hope mm -hmm. mine isn't in that stack. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm like perpetuating the problem too, because I said, uh, you know, like, well, if I miss the first email, just send me a, another one or another one. <laughs> and yep. it's like, oh, that's why I have so many in, in emails. Too. <laughs> exactly. But that was a great segue, Peggy. I don't know if you knew that or not, but that was a great segue about the hearts thing, because, you know, we always play a few games here on Mobile mm -hmm. Heroes Uncensored. All work and no play makes for very boring gamers and board gamers. And that's not okay. So the game we're playing today is the dating game. And here you need to set up people with a fictional gaming character. It's going to be a blind date, but you will secretly record it, of course, and live stream it. And we want you to set somebody up with your favorite fictional gaming character and then tell us why. And so, Dave, you are up first, and you've got to set up Dean. Who should Dean date and why? Oh, wow. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> uh I'm trying. I'm trying to just think here about um, uh, about who my favourite gaming characters, and I think maybe I should choose something uh, something mobile. But that that would kind of uh, that's totally um, fine. 
Um, do you know what? I actually, I, I actually, I'm not. I'm going to go. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to say, Dean, you should, uh, you should go on a date with Miles Morales, Spider Man from the Spider Man franchise <laughs> on on PlayStation, and you should do that because that would be. That would be the best time out in New York, right? I think you would. Uh, you that that would be a, a a day worth of seeing the hotspots of that city from a, a crazy angle. So I don't know how you feel about that, but and I and I also realise that that's a that's a transmedia character right there to speak to something I was saying before. But uh, but I I thought that was one of my favourite games of the PlayStation Four era, and of course now on PlayStation Five as well. And I and uh, I, and every time I play that game, I, I I get a sense of joy about it, of exploration. So I, I'm going to set Dean up with a with a chance for a, <laughs> the, the best the best day out in New York ever. Uh, with that. Wonderful. Well, Miles Miles lives in the most colorful version of New York that I've ever seen. So. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Dean, you've got to return the favor. Uh, you know, who should Dave date and why? Um, how about a sort of a slimmed down, reproportioned, reproportioned, uh, rebooted Laura Croft, um, uh, who uh, I thought was very interesting because, uh, you know, it was sort of a recognition that uh, what people liked about her wasn't these, you know, giant round things or whatever, but uh, uh the, the sort of powerful character uh, mm -hmm. that, that the person represented and uh, someone who uh, in formative years, you know, went through all kinds of hardships and, uh, and emerged out of that as, uh, as this very strong adventurer. So, love it, love it, love it. And it'd be yeah, interesting that's not, that's to see what they do with that character in games, given the most recent Lara Croft, right, which is Alicia mm -hmm. Vikander and a totally different personality and, and, and body type, frankly. Uh, than previous movies. Excellent stuff. So, Rose, you're up. You're on the hot seat. Uh, mm -hmm. You've got to find somebody for John for his his dream date. Who is it and why? Uh, I I mean, Mass Effect is still one of my favorite series. So, are you okay with a Commander Shepard, John? <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll go out for dinner with anyone. I'm really open. <laughs> I mean, Commander Shepard has probably... It's one of my favorite storylines. I think it's just such a good trilogy. And I know that, um, you know, there are sequels that have come out since, but I think the trilogy still 10 years later just stands alone. And it's just, I think the character development that uh, Shepard goes through, um, I think with everything that you're going with Boombid and through the, you know, just growing the company, I think, I think Shepard would be a great person to, to connect with and, uh, you know, bring along on the adventure. I was going to go with Princess Peach, but hey. <laughs> I almost, I mean, there was almost Zelda, maybe, but I think Shepard can kind of guide through. And you get to choose uh, Femship or Maleship. Exactly. You can do Femship. <laughs> awesome. John, your turn. Who are you fixing Rose up? Who is perfect for her? So I'm a huge nin Nintendo fan. And I, I would set you up with Luigi because I think he's really misunderstood. He's always in the shadows. I mean, you're going to get great Italian food to start with, right? So that's the most <laughs> thing. When you go out, you want great food. So you're going to get some some lovely pasta. But I, I, I don't know. I've, I've always gravitated to the, the kind of like forlorn hero in, in games, right? That emotional connection rather than like, you know, the kind of main hero. And in, in every kind of like... Nintendo Mario it's it's all about Mario or even like Donkey Kong or Yoshi and then there's just like silly little Luigi just being a bit sort of slapsticky and I I just kind of feel that maybe there's more to him that we kind of really need to know <laughs> maybe there's this deep intellectual side that Nintendo just haven't actually explored mm -hmm. you know why mm -hmm. you know, why couldn't he have his own spin-off series like why is he always green I I don't know like there's all these questions that I have for Nintendo that I just feel that have been left in the left in the shadows. So I, I I would I really would love to find out who the real Luigi is. So if, if Rose could help me out, that'd be great. Done. <laughs> I think I mean I also think it speaks, I think while Luigi is probably like Luigi's Mansion is one of the most requested like revamps or mm -hmm. you know like republishing and they're just not doing it. And I think we we could have that backstory. We could find out more about Luigi if we could just get back into the mansion. Amazing. Amazing. But John, you could also settle a very, very challenging problem in my household, which is, is it Mario Bros or is it Mario Brothers? Oh, that is a good question. I, I, I would just default like brothers, but I'm sure everyone's got a different answer. 
<laughs> Dave, Dean, what, which one? Is, what is it? I, oh, I always, yeah, brothers. Yeah, I always say that too. Yeah, I don't know. I, now you've made me question my whole existence. I don't Thank know if that's you. right or not, but that's what Thank I say. You. <laughs> Thank you. I win. Awesome. Okay, got to get back to work, right? Peggy is giving me side eye right now, having too much fun. Um, Liftoff isn't going to pay us for this. So we're going to have some open questions uh, from Peggy and myself. And for anybody who wants to take it, we'll maybe throw it in one person's direction. Rose, I'm probably going to throw this first one your direction first. What makes a game interesting today, both from the developing and the reviewing side? I mean, there's so many out there. How do you come up with an interesting game today? It's not easy. Uh, I mean, it's it's very easy to, to launch a game and then just have like a really good first week and then fall behind in, in, the, in the next week's rotation. Uh, you definitely need to really identify who your market is, um, what they what they want, and does your product satisfy this market? You know, can you build that relationship with these players and can you keep it ongoing? Um, you know, I think when we launched Jurassic World Alive in 2018, it was you know, well, it's it's another Pokemon Go, and you know, I think we've we've done well enough that we've listened to our players and we've crafted this really strong live ops to make it interesting, to make them want to come back every day, and that there is something new for them every day to keep pushing towards, to keep playing. Um, I think it's very interesting to launch a game and be like, well, okay, game's done. You know, like let's move on. Uh, I think what makes your game really interesting today is is just how long can it live for? How long can you keep making sure that the players are happy um, and that there is something for them to come back to every day. Wow, cool. I'm just absorbing all this, John. I'm enjoying mm -hmm. this immensely. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> okay, I think I'll ask Dean, because he's been there, done that. Dean, mm -hmm. are there any underserved markets in gaming left? Yeah, I mean, I, I would uh, point everybody just back to them the the mainstay market of AAA games and i think there's this uh kind of a fiction out there about uh how they're too expensive to make now and that you know they take seven years uh like uh, say red dead redemption 2 actually took that long and you know they took a team of 2000 or so uh and i think that people don't sort of always see the calculations that that uh, go into you know what comes out of making this like uh, you, you could very well spend uh, easily 150 million dollars making one of these games and uh, and some of them have budgets that go way up from there and five years is the average for a brand new intellectual property and uh, it's getting longer but uh, I think that the part of the calculation that doesn't go in is that when, once they come out and, and they're successful you know they can add billions of dollars of market cap to uh, a company and its its value in the market and its reputation. And um, that answer just doesn't come from me. I mean, I, I, I got that answer in a conversation with an investment banker. Uh, and, um, you know, you, you have all these, uh, you know, things that can spin out of a, a big game for merchandising, for other things as well. And so um, uh, I, I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's quick money in the game industry now in many other parts of the game industry aside from that. Uh, but I don't think that means that uh, people should neglect uh, the highest part of the tent pole of the, you know, like the tent pole games. Um, and, uh, and so that's my view. Nice. Very nice. Mm -hmm. John, I'll throw this one your way. Uh, what's the most creative way to market a new game that you've seen in the last year? In the last year, I mean, we, we touched on, you know, there was a kind of like like metaverse sort of Robloxy example earlier on. And um, I mean, I'm pretty sure it was this year, but like when um, like Gucci launched their virtual collection with, with uh, Roblox, the, the, the Gucci garden experience that apparently it just sold more pieces than like all physical stores that day, I found fascinating. But if, if, if I had to pick an ad, Again, I don't know the, the timing, but the one that I just think is, I'm not sure what it is. It's like part ads, like it's a piece of art. It's like long form content is the the kind of Halo 3 ads. It reminds me of this like apocalyptic sort of Pompeii. There's that almost like freeze frame 
um, the, the way it's shot, you know, there's, I'm sure there's the sort of social stunt element. I just think that's a, I think that's a beautiful, uh, a beautiful, beautiful ad. Um, I mean, one of my one of my all time favorites. We were talking about this internally last week when we were just talking about like just really, again, just take inspiration from what's been done, how we can do it better. Do you remember the um, the, the Dead Space Two? Like your mum hates Dead Space Two. <laughs> like, and again, it's just we, we think about influencers, right? And the way that you you want influencers to then just experience your game in real time, and then people feed into that. You know, for that emotion, exactly as you know, Dave was talking about reviews. It's that sort of authentic glance in. I, you know, I was, I was watching that last week and showing that to the team on on YouTube, but it still just makes me laugh. I don't know if it's real or fake or if it's a fake focus group, but it's worth a watch on on YouTube. You know, what's it. interesting here, John, is that we're all talking about experience. We've got emotional connection. We've got all this going on. But actually, we're still at a point in time where we're also talking about AR, right? And you have to ask yourself, like, honestly, is it a thing in gaming? Is it something that's going to be what we keep writing about, John, which is something amazing, big, going to augment our experience? Let's see. I have to ask Dave. He's the sci-fi man. AR, is it real, Dave? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? I think... Um... So AR and VR and, uh, and MR and NXR, I, I, I think is um, we're we're seeing some amazing things happen there. There's still there's still a way to go. I I'm kind of a believer in in these, these new technologies. Um, you know, like we were saying before with, with the site, but you know, we also have a site called the Virtual Report, and and, uh, and I think there's there's stuff going on there with with AR. Yeah, have we seen the best of it? I mean, there's some, there's some great experiences, obviously, like uh, the the kind of uh, location-based AR, the Jurassic World Alive is a perfect example. Pokemon Go for, for what that is, but you know, also there's, there's, you know, there's. I've had some fantastic, really, really fun AR experiences using my iPhone. Things like Smash Tanks is great. You know, just just being able to play, play kind of out there. Uh, I like some of the stuff they do with uh, the Warhammer games as well, kind of bringing those characters to life. And I think there's, there's something there. Have have we seen absolutely the best of it yet? No. I my gut is that the um, the most uh, kind of profitable AR experiences will first of all be productivity experiences. There'll be workplace experiences. I think we'll th the the use of AR for training and that kind of thing probably. But um, but I, yeah, I'm a believer in it. I I, I want to see innovation in space like this. I think there's there's incredible you know really interesting stuff going on. And even just in the last uh, kind of five years since I, um, I I had my first go on a on a Microsoft Hololens in 2016, and even since then, the stuff that that, that we're we're doing with AR and um, you know is is, is incredible. Oh, so, yeah. is it a thing? When you say is it a thing, do you mean is it is it kind of mainstream? No, I, I don't know. That's the case. I, I you know I know uh, I don't think necessarily during the um, during the pandemic where uh, where you know where, where my mom finally got into mobile gaming where, where she was there playing. Is, is she is she getting into it? Probably not. But um, but but there are some great experiences there, and I think it's I think it's coming. So yeah, it's it's. I think people should watch. Yeah, for sure. I think also the the area to watch is like Ni Niantic and and Pokemon Go, and they had a AR you know experience uh, within Pokemon Go, but I, I think a lot of people turned it off because it just chewed up your battery, uh, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, but where they're going with their investments uh, into both you know software and hardware companies and uh, their alliance mm -hmm. with uh, Verizon on 5G, I, you know I think AR and 5G are going to be a pretty good combination and. I think that uh, that's like an entry point for a lot of the players in the market. Like maybe Apple is waiting for that kind of opportunity as well. Uh, so I, I think uh, it's a little too early to write it off because the technology is is still getting there to to make it into a good experience. Mm. Okay, Rose, I'd like to ask you one because you were talking before about what goes through your mind when one of these gentlemen are reviewing your game. Okay, mm -hmm. so I'm gonna keep with that game success. What drives game success more, do you think? Is it big marketing budgets or is it being the best game in your category, the best in class? I mean, you can have the biggest budget, but if your game is not right, it does not matter. If you don't, like, if you can spend millions and millions of dollars acquiring users, but if they're not staying, uh, that's just really a big waste. So it being the best game, uh, and being the best game in the category is definitely going to be a much bigger driver than how much money you can put behind it. And I think 
you'll see that as well for a lot of the hyper casual games. Um, you know, yes, you can put a bunch of money behind it, but really if they like it, they will keep coming back. They'll tell their friends, they'll start climbing the charts. Uh, and then you'll just keep going and going and going and, and growing it more. So I think definitely being the best game that's, mm-hmm. you, there's no budget if there's not a best game. Love cool. it. So product is the new marketing. I keep on hearing it. <laughs> Where have we heard that before? I keep on hearing it. <laughs> awesome. Okay, we're going to try something that's totally a test. And if it totally sucks, then nobody will ever hear it and we'll never see the light of day. <laughs> but we're going to give it a shot. We're going to invent a new game live here with all you. Your big brains are needling and joking from the side. And we're going to just call you out. You've got to answer a quick question together. All together, I think we're going to build a game. So, Rose, who are we targeting to play this game? What's our target audience? Uh, let's go with 18 to 35 year old, uh, okay. primarily female driven, uh, and in a cartoony space. Okay, so excellent. Dean, what kind of game are we making? Is it casual? Is it hyper casual? Is it mid core? Is it triple A? Um, I think we're making a sort of a uh, a casual game that's very story driven. Okay, very yeah. story driven. Love it. Who is our main character, John? Give us a main character or two. I, I, I'm going to have to go with what I said about Luigi. It's going to have to be someone that that <laughs> is, is is in the shadows, and the game is all about going on that journey with her. Right, and evolving with her and building that emotional connection with her and everything that she's she's doing in the game. Um, in my experience, those story-based games, that's where you get the best connection or retention when you've got that kind of lead character. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, okay. So, Rose, what's the goal of the game? What, what do you achieve when you win the game or you're playing it well? I think if we're going with a narrative base, I think watching that character develop and finding out their backstory um, and overcoming, you know, several challenges that they might, some challenging decisions to have that character growth. Um, so I think, I think it depends going to be on where the narrative, what what's the overreaching narrative? Is it they're trying to break into a job market? Are they on a quest? Um, you know, are they on a quest to find themselves? I think, you know, yeah, if they can find themselves at the end of it, you know, who are they? Love it. Love it. I'm going to do that. (laughs) John, we're heading to you. How are we monetizing this game? Is it in-app purchase? Is it advertising? What is it? Oh, come on. It's all, it's all about NF, F, N, NFTs. That's what it's all about now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we're monetizing with NFTs. Love it. Yeah. Love amazing. It. Amazing. Right. <laughs> we can't talk about IEP and rewarded video, but we've got to be very, very current. Um, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I feel that 25% of my inbox or approaches are about, John, have you thought about NFTs in your games? <laughs> I, I, have. <laughs> I have thought about it a lot. Uh, I mean, look, j- j- joking aside, I think... Um, I mean, again, to Dean's point, we're not making a AAA game, but of course, you want a really healthy amount of IP uh, in there to, you know, to really drive that, uh, you know, that that nice revenue, but also just really neatly integrated into the story as well, with with some nice upgrades and, uh, you know, unlocking additional content, or, you know, okay. maybe we're really brave and we do an IP deal as well, so we definitely need some IP in there to pay for the IP deal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there would definitely be some some lovely sort of custom NFTs in there that you can um, love spend Ethereum. Love it, love it, love it. Dave, what's our core loop? Um, you know, what's the key thing that somebody that our players are doing here, and and how long is that core loop? Is that a five minute thing? Is it a longer thing? No, let's let's keep it kind of short, I guess. Um, is this a? So I, I'm just trying to think. This a narrative game, so we're not necessarily kind of doing it one on one. No, let's let's keep the core loop pretty short. Let's keep it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gonna. We got some. We, we wanted to sell these upgrades, so let's. Uh, so it's maybe kind of card based. Uh, going on what John said, we want to maybe maybe we can pre sell some some NFT packs here where uh, people are collecting stuff, so they can they can buy into those before the game's even released. So we're talking about something you can play there. So it's kind of a like it's a pretty short solitaire like experience with some kind of character based cards that they play pretty quickly. Let's, let's uh, 
yeah, let's keep, so let's keep it to a couple of minutes to, to reach the end nice. of that first call, Luke. Nice. Love it. And Dave, sticking with you, how are we rewarding success? How are we keeping players engaged in the game? Are we sending out notifications to them? Are we giving them something? How are we keeping them engaged? So we're going to have a real sense of, I think, um, progress here, like a kind of an explore kind of thing. But, it would, but each kind of site, each loop here is going to take you from one level to another. And and the levels are going to be kind of only accessible after a certain amount of time as well. So, yeah, you're going to get notifications kind of going now that you can now proceed to the next level in this game. Uh, and you're going to so it's it's a kind of a lot of it is about exploration. We mentioned so it's. It's, the, it's this woman's journey, isn't it, we said. So so she's going to go through various stages in her life, and we're going to need to, some content for that as she goes on every time. Uh, and that's, gonna, that's, that's how we're going to reward it. Love it, love it. Dean, how complex is our game economy going to be? Is there going to be one thing that you want to get, whether that's gems or the NFTs, or are there going to be multiple things that you can get to help you uh, get forward in the game? Let's see. I'm going to I'm going to hijack the the whole content here and say it's a, it's a choice driven game and you get two choices and one is certain doom and the other is certain doom. But you can buy <laughs> you can buy the third choice with an, like an NFT or something and that'll get you out of it and the story will keep going. Right. Uh, oh, otherwise, wow. otherwise, the story is going to come and end in one of two ways and uh, and you're just going to die. So it's called <laughs> give us your money or the game's gone. I, I... <laughs> User retention sucks, but monetization is super high. Uh... People <laughs> like choices, right? People like choices. Sure, they do. Paradox of choice. Uh, Rose, returning to you. Is this a social game? Do you have teams or is it solo? It'll be solo, but let's add in a geolock component. So okay. you can have like side missions come on through when you're when you're doing your daily tasks or on your, you know, yeah, going to do your groceries or some errands and whoop, here's a little notification about a little task because you're next to the mall. Love it. Love it. And John, you have the hardest job of all. What is the name of the game? What is the name of the game? Oh wow. Yeah. You put me right on the spot, haven't you? Um, so it's a casual narrative game. I well, have a name for you if you want, so you can call I, well, it. I, I'm, I'm just thinking for all that, again, I had this conversation this morning of like ASO buzzwords. So what I'd like to get in there is like arcade with, <laughs> hang on, bear, like if, yeah. if I could somehow get like merge arcade makeover something in there that would that would really help my aso team and then i just need a protagonist name in there so here we go here we go i got the name for you it's the arcade makeover game of life there you so, go. <laughs> i present to you the game that we have just invented we are building a game for 18 to 35 year old women it will be a casual game. It's very story-driven. Our main character is someone in the shadows who's evolving, who has deep emotional challenges, which she is overcoming. And the goal is to help her overcome those challenges and grow her character. Perhaps as she graduates from school, perhaps graduate school and moves into a job. We're monetizing this via NFTs, plus some upgrades and some in-app purchases and maybe some pay for special IP. Our core loop is short. It's card-based. You get new collections. You get new NFTs, and you acquire stuff, which is going to help you in your emotional journey as you go. Keeping players engaged by exploring, making progress one level to the next, and levels only become available at a certain time. You've got to do something. You've got to wait a certain time until the level becomes available, and then you've got to jump in while it's open. Our game economy isn't super complex, but if you make the wrong choice, you die and the game deletes itself automatically. Uh, <laughs> you can buy a third choice when you're faced with a quandary, and that is your choice to continue to live. It's a solo game, but it has geo-relevant missions, side missions based on where you are, whether you're in the store, you're at school, you're at work, and we are calling it the Arcade Makeover Game of Life. Great job, everybody. That is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, John, I think you're the game. I that was an incredible summary. Are you reading something? Yeah. Like <laughs> I was gonna say, I was gonna say, John, you're like the Don Draper of games development, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Bringing it all together. I don't know what all I'm listening team. to. It's yeah. all the team. Just music. 
it's all a team. Guys, we have literally minutes left. We have to jump out. 30 seconds for each of you. Your top tip for game marketers. What should they do or not do? And we're going to start with the game marketers. 30 seconds. We're going to turn then to the journalist. Rose, you're on first. Your top tip. Know your market. Know what they want and be ready to give them what they want. Well, that's the easy part, right? I mean, everybody knows what the market wants. I mean, <laughs> I'm just joking. Totally. <laughs> John, your top tip. Hire creative geniuses. I, I just think with everything going on around privacy, I, I don't think there's a time where your creative has ever had to work harder to like better find, uh, identify, and convert your audience. So hire brilliant creative people. Love it, love it, love it. And Dean, your top tip. Uh, there are seven days in the week and 24 hours in the day, and you do not have to send an embargo for Tuesday at 6 a.m. Pacific time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is this is something that is near, near to Dean's heart. Um, <laughs> I love it. It can only be 9 a.m. <laughs> Dave, we'll turn to you. You have last hits, my friend. What is your top tip for game marketers? Do you know, I'm going to I'm gonna say it's time-related as well. Uh, I think that one of the things I would say to, to studios working on games is to give us plenty of time, and I'm speaking on behalf of the press here with the, with the game. Tell us far in advance. Give us plenty of time with the game. Get in touch way ahead of release. It's the bane of my life that someone gets in touch and says, hey, I'm just announcing this game's out now. Well... So someone's got someone's got to play that now and write about it. You know why? Why, why couldn't you have told us that before? Happens more in mobile than it does in uh, in kind of AAA console. But yeah, you've got a new mobile game. Give us give us plenty of time on that. Let's let's have it in advance. Dave, here's what you don't understand. You have the press release. You have everything you need to write the story. You right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Excellent. I want to thank you all. Rose, you are always amazing. John, thank you so much. Dave and Dean, we know you guys are super busy. Um, Dean, sorry, it's going to be an eight-story day today. You know, you can't do 10. You can't <laughs> now waste uh, your time. I apologize. Uh, thank you so much, everybody. You've been amazing. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you.